Hello, my name is Chris. And my name is Jacob. And you are listening to the Culinary Caucus. The premier podcast at the intersection of food and politics. And tonight we have a very special guest on, ladies and gentlemen, an expert on many things, the premier expert on the East Coast, Caleb Watney. Give it up. Yeah. Woo. Hey, y'all. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right, Caleb. So uh, we're just going to do our introduction. So why don't you say your name again if you want to. Sure. Um, and your expertise. <laughs> um, so I'm Caleb Watney. Uh, mm. I cover emerging technology policy for the R Street Institute, which is a think tank in Washington, D.C. Uh, primarily, I work on autonomous vehicles, artificial intelligence, um, drones, those kind of topics. Cool, cool. What's up, everyone? My name is Kyle. I'm a, I'm a guest host on the Culinary Caucus. Yeah, you are. Uh, feeling good. Feeling mm. alive. Um, so... What is your expertise, Kyle? My expertise? I am studying architecture at the school... Of Catholic University. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, my name is Chris. Now, my expertise is political blogging. You guys know me if you listen to this. <laughs> no more explanation required. Uh, my name is Jacob, and as you know, I am the um, pastry chef on the show. Awesome. All right, so let's go right into the roundup. Let's do it. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so my article for this week's roundup is about Russian propaganda. Um, this time mm. in an unexpected source, Pokemon Go. Um, so it's been well reported over the last couple of weeks. Uh, different uh, social networks like um, Facebook and, and Google and other ones were uh, having their ad systems used by Russian propaganda uh, operatives who were trying to affect the 2016 election, um, and it turns out, uh, according to a report today, they were also using some unexpected sources like Pokemon Go. Uh, this specific case seems to be um, a Russian operative who who is acting the part of a Black Lives Matter um, group on Facebook and Tumblr, and uh, they were hosting a contest for Pokemon Go. Hmm. Apparently, if you could go to the the site of a police shooting. Uh, capture the closest uh, Pokemon gym there, and as if you placed your your Pokemon on the pedestal of this gym, gym with the name of the person of the victim of that police shooting, uh, and then take a screen cap of that and send it to this group, you would enter a raffle for a gift card. Um, I I don't totally understand the causation of of what they were hoping to accomplish or in what way they would be manipulating Wait, politics how, in the U.S. Yeah, how does um, that do anything? I, I would guess it's it was more experimentation. They were trying to see what types of tactics would be effective, um, perhaps later on. Hmm. Um, but it's just another odd chapter as as we discover after the fact of what happened during the 2016 election. Well, I can tell you right now, didn't really work on me. So <laughs> surprise. All right. Crazy. All right. You want to go ahead, Kyle? Yeah. Uh, so right now, um, the Boy Scouts. Girls are allowed to join the Boy Scouts now. Um, it was just passed a few days ago. Uh, girls are allowed to become an Eagle Scout, and the the name isn't changed. It's still, it's still, still, it's still called the Boy Scouts, but girls are allowed to be a part of the Boy Scouts now. So. Is it so? It's to get them to equal opportunity to the Eagle Scouts. Is that the I idea? Guess, I guess so, but they're they're still the Girl Scouts. So I don't I don't know. Do, and guys are not allowed to join the Girl Scouts. Just girls are allowed to join join don't the Boy Scouts. Girl Scouts have something similar. I, I don't actually know. Do, don't they have something similar to an Eagle Scout? Like I, some comparable. I'm not sure. I, I would I would assume so. 
Yeah, I think the Obviously. highest level. I think the highest level is Girl Scout. Maybe we should bring on a Girl Scout sometime to <laughs> probably to answer all these sister. these hard hitting questions. Yeah, get Jossie on. I think this is all a ploy to take advantage of all that cookie revenue that the Girl Scouts are <laughs> Ooh, getting. You know, the Boy yeah. Scouts want a piece of that, and yeah. so they're like, "Come join us Come join and then us. sell cookies for us." Exactly, yes. we'll uh. give you our muesli popcorn. For <laughs> yeah, that, those delicious. Yeah, cookies. let's let's be real. The Girl Scouts product was far superior. <laughs> far superior. Yeah. All right. Well, my story is uh, a political story happening in Virginia. As many people know, the governor's race is going on. And a couple nights ago, uh, Republican Senate candidate Ed Gillespie debated with Democratic candidate Ralph Northam in Virginia in uh, at University of Virginia Wise, which is a sort of uh, daughter campus. I don't know if that's what you can call it, but it's, it's basically like the satellite uh, to UVA at Wise, Virginia. Um, and yeah, so far Northam is up in the polls. Um, it does seem to be a pretty good race as far as races go. Um, certainly a lot more policy substance going on. Um, but then the national uh, politics are also taking a toll on it somewhat. Um, a lot of trying to compare Gillespie to Trump and a lot of trying to compare uh, Northam to sort of the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party to try to alienate um, sort of the middle voters that Virginia is known for. So we will see which strategy works, but um, yeah, the election is in several weeks now. Hmm. Hmm. Crazy. God, you looked at your watch to figure out how many weeks it was <laughs> until the election. <laughs> uh, my brain just works that way. <laughs> All right, so I've got a story. It's uh, probably will not have any bearing on anybody's life ever, but it's pretty funny. Um, so the... I, I believe it's recently became the most popular comedy TV show um, in America. Uh, it's called Rick and Morty. Um, it, like I said, it's very popular. So you may or may not have heard of, heard of it. It definitely hits a very specific um, uh, age group and all that. But basically, this guy named Alex Arbuckle, who is a, a writer for Mashable.com, um, he just randomly pretended to be the creator of the TV show Rick and Morty and posted a tweet saying, I regret ever creating it. <laughs> and it was so just laughably not believable. <laughs> but it went viral. I mean, it caught huge amounts of traction and <laughs> people hilarious. were believing it. So he decided to go with it and change like his, his picture for his Twitter account, his name and all that. Um, and called himself Rick and Morty, the like, creator of Rick and Morty. <laughs> and people were believing this, and he just like kept putting more tweets out there, and people were directly messaging him, saying, like, please don't get rid of this show, I love it so much. <laughs> and he's doing this in the midst of this, this situation that, um, that you may or may not have heard of. It's the Szechuan sauce um, debacle. It's basically... Um, <laughs> This secret, this special sauce that McDonald's used to have way back in the like nineties. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, called Szechuan sauce. They released it um, in lieu of a mention of the sauce in the yes, TV show, yes, and oh. a whole bunch of people poured out to these McDonald's to hope. I was one of them. <laughs> I was one of them <laughs> to get one of these packets <laughs> of sauce, it. and because um, they're only having it for one day only. Wow. And um, people were just like lining up out the doors and they ended up only having like 40 packets per mcdonald's 
Wow. And honestly, so, honestly, one of the cringiest things I've ever been to in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. And so basically, there are like riots and things. Like people are just like so so yeah, mad. It was awful. It was because I mean people were waiting all day, and most people, the vast majority of people waiting to get some of this sauce, didn't get it. So this guy posted this in the middle of that, like where everybody's like questioning like whether they even like the show anymore and all that and so he he, he sent that post out saying i regret ever creating the show <laughs> and that's when people started to actually believe it wow um yeah <laughs> that's amazing wow kyle you have something to say about the szechuan sauce about what happened with the szechuan sauce yeah like what <laughs> like you ended up there I, we, we, went, we went there because we thought like oh the chef Juan sauce is supposed to be there Let's just go there and get some Szechuan sauce. So we end up going. We thought it was gonna be like an all-day thing. We know there's only 40 packets at like a McDonald's. So we get there, the line is out the door, and uh, yeah, it was ridiculous. And there was just a lot of a lot of neck beards, a lot of fedoras, a lot of dyed hair. It was cringy. It was not. It was not a good place. I regret going. <laughs> just like the creator regrets making yeah, the show. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, let's go to. Um, we're not, we don't have sauce on the show, but we do have another hopefully delectable food item. Take it away. Hopefully. It is Whoa. called Millionaire's Shortbread. Let's go. It's something that's comparable to Twix, although after having tried it, I'm, I have to be honest, guys. I, I'm pretty critical of my own work, but I am a little bit disappointed that it's not quite as much like a Twix bar as I was hoping for. And most of that is because of the textures. Um, I'll let you guys decide if it's, you know good or not but in my opinion i don't think it's all that much like a twix bar but that's the idea it's supposed to be similar to that and what it is is um a layer of short uh, shortbread oh my gosh I can't talk shortbread crust topped with uh firm caramel and then chocolate and why is it called right here millionaire shortbread are there dollar bills hidden within the layers no unfortunately well actually no fortunately no there's not <laughs> it's a unfortunately we won't be eating paper tonight <laughs> uh no i don't know i mean it's like a meal look for at millionaires. it just look at it's it a meal, look it's, like it's a meal for it's millionaires a millionaire would eat this it's like a gold bar with chocolate on it yeah. i don't know something it like look that. pretty fancy i feel like a very wealthy person would eat it <laughs> yeah especially since these are gluten-free so Yo. All the more wealthy. No yeah. carbs. No carbs, Yo. no that's, gluten. That's not true. <laughs> okay, hang that's on. That's not true. Uh, yeah, I know, I know you didn't... Wait, well, hang on. I know you didn't mean to say that, Kyle. Yeah. But I do have to point out... So he said low carbs or no carbs? I said no carbs. Gluten-free food is a big... I, mean, I, know, I know you weren't trying to say that, but I do want to point this out, that there is a... Like, so many people think that gluten-free food is more healthy just because it's gluten-free. That's not true at all. I am gluten-sensitive, and so I eat gluten-free food because it makes me feel better than gluten does, but it's not any better for you unless you actually have a sensitivity or an allergy. Hmm. So yeah, just wanted to say that. Um, yeah, and this is gluten-free like everything else I make. Um, so go ahead and try it. Yeah. All right, oh. let's do it. Oh, got the mic. And it's a race, go. <laughs> just kidding. Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. Thank you. All right. What do you guys think? Delish. Mm. I'm letting it linger on my tongue. I'm, I'm about it. <laughs> it's good. Good. Yeah. Not so much like a Twix bar, though, is it? 
No, it's better. It has some elements to it. There are elements mm. for sure. It's like sure. the same flavors, but different textures. I think that doing this again, I will do the caramel differently. So the way I did the caramel, I have to admit, was I was cheating. I <laughs> no, <laughs> but I don't regret it. And the reason for that, <laughs> let me explain myself. The reason for that is that sometimes I like to do things that are more convenient, just to demonstrate that it's a possibility. You know. Mm -hmm. So the way that I cheated was I used sweetened condensed milk to make the caramel. That's one method of making caramel, and I have to say it's not the best way. In the sense that you could come up with a much better caramel using something other than sweetened condensed milk, but it's just so much easier to use it that I just kind of wanted to demonstrate, while in the process benefiting from the easier procedure, uh, I wanted to demonstrate that like these things, these things are pretty easy to make. I made it in like a half an hour. Hmm. And that, I mean, that's not including the time it took to chill, but that was no active work on my part. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the, the caramel is a little bit less than chewy. It's kind of just like soft, uh, mm. which is potentially not a bad thing, but yeah, not exactly what caramel should be in my opinion. So yeah, mm. that, that's my own criticism of how it came out. But um, all that to say, it is easy to make these and I would recommend trying it out. That was really good. Yeah, Thank it's you. good. Not bad. Well, we'll see what the Vatican thinks <laughs> when you go there. Right, yeah, just to uh, re-summarize that, I will almost 100% for sure be going to the Vatican Oh yeah, we, for an we internship. Oh, yeah, we I think we may, have, we may have mentioned that in another episode. I don't think we, I don't think we did. I didn't we mean to out you. Even. No, um, no, no, that's fine. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I will be going to Italy on... Um, before January 8th, all I know is that the, the classes start January 8th. Um, and that's completely confirmed. I'm going to be there for three months studying, and then I'm going to go to uh, the Vatican and do an internship there afterwards. All I have to say is you better not cheat in your caramel when you're cooking for Pope Francis. <laughs> He's not going to accept that. <laughs> He's sweet not... condensed milk in that kitchen. Holy Father <laughs> only wants pure, non-sweetened condensed milk caramel. <laughs> I've talked with him, is what he said. Yeah. Well... Well, we look forward to hearing all about your adventures there. Um, and maybe we'll head over to Italy and we can do one together. Ooh. So, yeah, that'll be fun. Wild. All right. So let's uh, let's go into our, our guest tonight. I mean, let's talk to our guest. Let's talk okay. to our guest, talk Caleb, to our guest. tonight. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. So, Caleb, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, you know. There are a lot of things going on, lots of exciting things happening in the world of technology and technology policy. Um, yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, and we wanted to specifically talk to you about um, the couple areas that you're an expert, like um, particularly interested in, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the areas of driverless cars and um, artificial intelligence in the judicial system. Yeah. Yes. So. Um, so what do you know, so first of all, what got you interested in this area of policy? That's a good question. Um, so I was always pretty into tech. I, you know, built a computer in college and, um, spent probably too much of my time on the interwebs. Um, and then I, and, and for a while I wanted to go, you know, work on the business side of a startup or, you know, maybe an established tech firm like Google or someone. Um, and then I started to take some economics courses, um, got really interested in that, decided to go to uh, grad school for econ, 
and was kind of torn between my interests of tech and then in policy and econ, and then found out, whoa, you can combine them whoa. in technology policy. Um, mm. And I think I have a particular interest in it, because um, when you look at like long run rates of economic growth, like the single biggest determinant is uh, innovation. And if we can find um, policy structures that make technological innovations even marginally more likely to happen or to happen faster, then in the long run, that can have really big um, effects on people all over. Hmm. And one of those technologies is driverless vehicles. That's correct, yeah. Right. So uh, I know that our listeners probably are wondering about that because that seems like something that seems uh, dangerous. <laughs> That's the first thought that comes to my mind. Well, okay, explain this to me a little bit because there are driverless vehicles lining the streets right now. They're vehicles that have no drivers in them. So what exactly <laughs> is the kind of driverless vehicle you're talking about? Yeah. Um, so there's various levels of autonomy, actually. Um, so normally we have it from zero to five. So a zero autonomy has obviously no autonomous. It's just a regular car. Mm -hmm. um, level one starts to add, you know, assisted uh, lane switching or cruise control. Um, level two is kind of where like Tesla is right now. You know, it's the adaptive cru cruise control. It can control itself while it's on the can highway. You, can you explain that more? What adaptive cruise control? Sure. Um, so basically, it can switch lanes. It can uh, maintain its speed. It can start slowing down if it sees that the car in front of it is slowing down. Yeah. Um, but, but this is only on highways. Yeah, this is only Wait, on highways. And for and switching lanes, as in like if you're going 60 miles an hour, a car in front of you is going like 55. Will the car actually switch lanes and then? go around that car that's in front of you? Um, if, if you tell it to switch lanes, then it'll switch lanes. Um, you but, don't have to touch the wheel at all? But, the, but it's not at the level of autonomy where it has that intelligence yet, where it can just like go around a car that's going slow. It would most likely slow down, right? Yeah, it would most likely okay. slow down. Okay. Yeah, um, it's all unless safety. you told it specifically to change lanes and go around. Maybe you might tell it to. Um, you just like push left or whatever, and it'll go left? Yeah, yeah. They like, have like little buttons that you can like... Or can you say, them. like... Jeff, if you're calling your car that, like, get around this Jeff, slope. Bang, a, bang a left right here. <laughs> chauffeur. <laughs> chauffeur, let's make a move around this. I mean, there's probably some way you could rig that up, yeah. you know, combine a, you know. Siri. I mean, yeah, Alexa program. Siri. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, Voice control is pretty pretty. Alexa. But <laughs> level two is, you know, still pretty limited, and humans are supposed to ha still have their, you know, hands on the wheel at all times and be ready to take over. Um, level three, uh, you know, we're starting to have some cars that are level three. Humans don't necessarily have to have their hands on the wheel at all times, but they're supposed to still be sort of in the driver's seat watching, ready to take over if something goes wrong. Um, that's kind of a tricky level um, because humans have this bad tendency of when machines are kind of in control, they'll overassume how how capable they are, hmm. not pay attention, and then sort of at the last minute suddenly pay attention, freak out, and then try to take control at a time when it's bad to take over. Mm -hmm. um, so you're actually seeing some companies or some uh, manufacturers try to skip over level three yeah. and go straight to level four and level five. That would make sense. Um, yeah. And level four and level five are complete autonomy. Uh, there's oftentimes not even a steering wheel in the car. Oh. Um, it's completely uh, controlled by the vehicle. And it, it sounds really scary, but the technology has actually progressed in leaps and bounds over the last couple of years. Um, sort of the leader in this space is Waymo, which is a division of Google. Um, and, and their driverless cars are, at least as far as I can tell, basically the best in the space. Um, and they've been doing uh, test runs in California. They're getting ready to do a pilot 
um, taxi program in Arizona in the coming six months. Um, and it's going to be a fully autonomous uh, taxi that will take people around. Um, they're still going to have a driver in the seat for now, um, ready to take over, but the car is meant to be fully operational by itself. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard that it's more safe than having a human driving. It is. So the thing about hum the thing about humans is while you can help a computer get better over time, you can teach it, um, you know, when it makes a mistake to no longer make that mistake. Um, humans, you can't. You can you can teach any one individual how to you know solve for this, but humans as a whole um, have lots of problems. We get distracted uh, via our cell phones. We get drowsy. There's uh, drunk driving, mm. um, and all of those have contributed to forty thousand accidents, uh, fatalities yeah. uh, last year. Um, and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, sort of the regulator responsible for cars, uh, says that 94% of those accidents are the result of human error. Um, so that means that, hypothetically, we should be able to eliminate the vast majority of accidents on the roads uh, once uh, autonomous vehicles or uh, driverless cars um, get, get good enough. Huh. What happens when you run into the problem with hacking? <laughs> is that is that that's probably a big concern in your guys's industry? Yeah, right? that's certainly been uh, a concern. So there's kind of like lots of of different you know fear mongering about about it. Mostly, I'm not too concerned. Uh, what you've seen from companies like Google is um, rather than relying on like a constant uh, connection to the cloud for the vehicle to be operational, it can operate completely by itself. All the systems that it needs for its own discrete operation, um, are there. It still, you know, whenever possible can update its maps and get software updates from, uh, the cloud or from the internet, whenever it needs. Um, but it doesn't need that connection to operate. Okay. Um, so you're which, saying each car individually runs itself. It's not like connected to a main server or anything. So yeah, different car manufacturers are taking different approaches. Some are relying more on sort of connectivity to be able to operate. But um, most of these cars are able to see other things in its environment through LiDAR, um, which is basically kind of like radar, but with light, um, and uh, or with lasers, excuse me. Um, and so it can create sort of like a 3D mapped view of everything around it. It can tell how fast cars and, and things in the environment are going all around it and be able to, to start and stop way faster than human reflexes can go. Um, mm -hmm. And so even without, you know, having a direct wireless communication with the car in front of it, uh, it doesn't necessarily need to to be able to operate safely. Huh. Okay. So let's get a little bit into the political part of this. Yeah. So let's say I want to start my own driverless car company. Um, and I already have a car company, but I want to go into driverless. What are some regulations and what are some policies that I need to be aware of? For sure. Um, so the first thing you'd want to do is you want to want to start talking with and open a line of communication with the car. NHTSA, yeah. <laughs> the, which is we're not uh, at that point. Yet. Yeah, yeah. Not, not there yet. Uh, soon. Um, but yeah, so National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, NHTSA, is NHTSA. the regulator responsible for this. Um, they have a set of federal motor vehicle safety standards, uh, which are basically um, rules that all car makers have to, have to comply with in order to release their cars on the roads. Um, if you want to put a car on the road that does not comply with one of these safety standards, you can get an exemption from NHTSA. Um, and basically you can show our cars are just as safe, but they don't include a steering wheel, even though you have a safety standard that says we have to have a steering wheel. And so the NHTSA can give them an exemption so you don't have to meet that because you've proven to us that you're just as safe. Um, hmm. And that's kind of like a stopgap measure 
uh, right now while NHTSA is trying to figure out how to update its its safety standards. Okay. Um, so there's been legislation in the House and the Senate that, that's trying to do this. The big political sticking point has actually been over the inclusion of trucks. Um, so labor unions oh, right. um, huh. like the Teamsters have been fighting tooth and nail to keep um, commercial trucks mm. out of this framework. And so far they've been successful. Um, the, because they don't want the trucks to take over the, the yeah. union members' jobs. Basically they're, yeah. they're concerned about uh, hmm. labor automation and, and them being out of a job. Um, I think that concern is short-sighted, uh, one, because it's still going to take many years for us to get this technology, uh, you know, fully operational, and in the meantime, it's going to look more like driver assistance technology. Yeah. Uh, I think there's going to be a fruitful partnership where, uh, you know, on well-mapped highways and at night, uh, the trucks can sort of drive themselves while the truckers rest or manage logistics. But then in the first mile, last mile, anytime there's bad weather, if they're going over mountains, if they're in less well-mapped uh, areas of the U.S., um, the, you know, the trucker would still need to operate the vehicle there. Um, and so that kind of partnership could actually increase truckers' productivity and increase their wages in the short term. Hmm. Um, the second factor is that there's already a trucker shortage. Uh, you know, there was a big report that came out last year that said we're about 100,000 truckers short, mm. um, and the median age of truckers is 49. Um, so it could be that by the time, you know, we have fully autonomous trucks capable of operating without any human uh, interaction, you know, the majority of truckers could be getting ready to retire. Um, we should probably be discouraging young people. <laughs> if there's any young people listening to this podcast and you want to go into trucking, do yeah, not do that. Truck That's driver. a bad idea. <laughs> Find something else to do. All I want to do All when, I was, when I was little was become a truck driver. <laughs> hey, don't make fun. Some people might want to aspire to that. Hey, that's yeah. what <laughs> That's what I aspired to be. Now my, my, now my dreams are crushed. Yeah, that's what you're going to architecture school for. <laughs> so I'll find another <laughs> So, back to the truckers. So, um, so... So the kids, what else should they know? No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> kids. <laughs> so, um, so the the main obstacle has been sort of the unions um, in getting the trucking aspect mm -hmm. of uh, of automated automated vehicles on the road. Um, okay, interesting. Uh, what other political sticking points have there been, if any? Um, there have been concerns about you know cybersecurity and uh, do we want to have specific uh, you know hard cybersecurity standards that companies have to meet. Um, and so there's kind of like a debate about what's the best way to regulate cybersecurity, uh, with some people arguing that we need specific mandates, other people saying we need more flexible sort of best practices um, that are, you know, coordinated through uh, industry groups and standard setting bodies. Um, it starts to get technical very quickly, um, but that's kind of been another sticking point is how to formulate sort of the cybersecurity regulation part of that. Hmm. Very interesting. It's a pretty exciting future, though, thinking of um, automated driving as being completely widespread. There would be no need for a speed limit if every car is perfectly controlled by an autonomous driver that On can highways, drive. I'm assuming, right? Well, well, I mean, pretty much anywhere. I, I mean, mean in neighborhoods, you wouldn't want people flying around at like 60. That, no, I mean, sure. I mean, in places where cars are going to be, uh, you know, crossing places that pedestrians are going and all that. Sure, I'm sure there would be like a, a reduction of speed. But, I mean, if you think about it, like if, if a autonomous driver is the perfect driver, like it can't make an error as long as everything is working properly, um, then there's no need for a speed limit because cars will not have to like, I mean, there's yeah. no way that a car can crash into another car I, if it's yeah. being run by a perfect I'm, system. I'm thinking about the what, what I'm thinking about is during my morning commute, when there's a whole line of there's a whole line of cars at a stoplight, 
and you see the light turn green, and you're kind of like ten cars back, and you're saying like, great, we can go. But no, it's like <laughs> one by one, they just all start accelerating like one after the other. And you think like, if they just went all at the same time, yeah, we'd get so many more cars. Especially with people like on their phones and all that. Oh, that's oh, the worst. Phone, they don't even look up. And <laughs> that's actually like the biggest cause of congestion and traffic. It's not like, you know, accidents on the side of the road. It's just bad human reflexes. And you're right. If everybody could accelerate mm -hmm. at the exact same time, uh, then there shouldn't hypothetically be any congestion unless but, there's a specific accident. But you need interconnectivity, though, between the cars in order to uh, determine that, right? Um, not necessarily. You could kind of all do it by LiDAR since these cars are operating with reflexes that are so quickly. Um, hmm. Now, I think long term there probably are going to be benefits of connectivity, especially, you know, you, you can imagine a scenario if you have only driverless cars on the highway, they're all going like 170 miles an hour, you have one foot of distance between each one, then it is probably good to have, you know, connectivity and, and cars be talking with each other. Um, but the benefits of connectivity don't actually start to really appear until you get like all driverless cars. So long as there's still other humans on the road, um, you know, the benefits of autonomous cars, talking with other connected cars, you know, they still exist, but they're much less. Huh. I'm so, picturing a world where it's like every car is just an elevator. Like you push the button, it takes you to your destination. Yeah. Just like, whoop. Yeah. There's also going to be... That's the noise of the Whoop. Now going to make whoop noises. Whoop, 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 whoop. There's also, it, it changes the dynamics around car ownership. Because um, you can, you know, Uber is already pretty cheap. But if you subtract, say, the, the wages of the driver, um, there's no longer, you know, there's much fewer accidents. So the insurance premium can go way down. Mm, yeah. uh, you know, especially once we start getting electric vehicles, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the price can be like a couple cents per mile. Uh, hypothetically, uh, in which case then like owning a physical car makes way less sense. Um, right. huh. And so it could be that we kind of, especially in sort of large urban centers, uh, switch to like a, a fleet ownership model and sort of a, a subscription service. Um, so, you know, wow. you would have a car ready to take you to your work, you know, <laughs> uh, whenever you press the button on the app or if you want to schedule it for a certain time, you can do that. Um, but, you know, uh, suddenly you have all this real estate that's free. You know, you have garages, you have parking lots that, you know, no longer need to be used. You probably still need parking lots like kind of on the edge of cities, but you no longer need parking lots in the middle of cities, right. which frees up a lot of valuable uh, real estate. You can shrink roads, because right now roads are really wide to make way for like human error in driving. Um, but if you have robotic precision, you can really bring in those roads, expand sidewalks or storefronts. Um, so it really sh changes and shapes the way that, that cities are going to emerge and develop over the next couple wow. decades. I have a question. Um, is there any kind of an outcry that you know of from people who are enthusiastic about driving? People, people who love just driving a you car. You see the future <laughs> of them taking away their car. Yeah, right. that is certainly um, sort of my technology policy mentor, uh, Adam Thier, who works at the Mercatus Center. He loves driving. Um, and he always says, you know, you can clench away the steering wheel from my cold, dead hands. Uh, he, is, he does not want to give it up. My, my general thought is that in the same way that people really liked riding horses, there just comes a point when you said you liked riding your horses, but you can't pick them on the highway. Like, you can still have separate places where you can uh, yeah. go ride your horse, and it can be a recreational thing. Um, but humans are just so bad at driving writ large that allowing them onto the highways in the long run almost seems irresponsible. Hmm. That actually makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> Society changes. You know? yeah, I mean, you think of all the changes that have happened 
and you know now we look back and we don't see it as radical um but maybe in the future um looking back we'll say oh you know this was this was a weird time we were driving around i mean what was that all about you know getting into a car going going to stoplight combustion engines you yeah. know gasoline <laughs> that, that stuff's final there's a good tweet I, I saw a while ago where you know it was a guy imagining a conversation with his son you know like 30 years from now was it between the um, world and me no no, no yeah, it's just a tweet <laughs> oh gotcha <laughs> and and he you know the son says wait you guys used to drive all these cars yourself didn't people die he says oh yeah millions of people die <laughs> in the future the fact that we allowed you know it's these mass fatalities Barbaric yeah, it's and seem ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Well, um, on that hopeful note for the future, to less death and to less human error in driving. Uh, thank you, Caleb Watney, for coming on the show. And uh, for all our listeners, follow Third Law Blog on Twitter, Instagram. Listen to the Culinary Caucus on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. That helps us a lot, apparently. Um, and subscribe to our email list do all those things just share, like share like, like subscribe, subscribe follow share, yeah subscribe, and and from all of <laughs> from all of us here at the culinary caucus have, have a, a great, great night, night.